We are in continuing our study in Ecclesiastes, and tonight we're going to be in chapter 2 again, but we left off about verse 6, I believe it was the last time that we were together, <clears throat> and tonight I want to, to go through 7, 8, 9, and 10 uh, of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 in Solomon's search for the meaning of life, and we've already noted that uh, vanity uh, is is emptiness. A lot of these things as he's searching and seeing and finding out things that he's engaging himself in is empty. They're, they're vain. They're not worth, they're not worth anything uh, long term, we could say. But in chapter 2, in beginning in verse 7, <coughs> Solomon writes and he says, I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and a peculiar treasure of kings and other provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments and all that of sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. In verse 11, then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit and there was no prophet under the sun. Solomon writes here in those few verses, he really brings out some things about his wealth and, and about the whole picture of wealth. He was very wealthy, he's already noted. He had a very luxurious living. We addressed a few weeks ago his luxurious houses, if you remember. The things that he built and that it took 13 years, one of them did, to build in 1 Kings 7 and 1 and 3. But he had gardens and parks, if you remember, the equivalent of parks today as we're talking about. But that was not all. It did not, as we talked a few weeks ago, did not describe the depth of his resources. So in our text, we find that Solomon had greater possessions of herds and all these things that he mentioned more so than anyone else. He had all of these things. <clears throat> he said he gathered to himself those herds and flocks that were in Jerusalem. Uh, and he also gathered silver and gold and those special treasures of kings and other provinces. And again, we see that his wealth was an indication of his power. Solomon, as we can read and as we've studied already, subdued kingdoms around him who gave him tribute. We find that acknowledgement in 1 Kings chapter 4. He was wealth was described in 1 Kings chapter 10. Describes the amount of it. And as you, when you hear these terms in this reading, and as you go back and you cross-reference some of these things, 
A talent of gold would be worth about 75 pounds. And plus other precious stones that he had. And over and over, Solomon mentions these things with wealth and about his material possessions. And one might say, well, why? Why is he mentioning these things? Maybe it's because that it's the main source of man through which so many seek meaning. You think about that. You know, a lot of times we hear people talk about, I have this and I have that and I have this and I have that. I went here and I went there and I went this. And a lot of times when, when people do that, not all the time, but when sometimes when people do that, what are they trying to do? They're trying to show their power, aren't they? They're trying to show, look at me, where I'm at. But over and over, Solomon mentions these things. But you know, we are reminded as in all of these lessons that such, these such things is vanity. It's emptiness. And it's like grasping for the wind, if you remember. You know, it matters not how much money one has. We can say tonight that it's not going to buy he or she true happiness. Money can buy stuff. But that's not where true meaning is found. Ecclesiastes on over in chapter 5 and verse 10. He says, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. Nor he, he who loves abundance will increase. This also is vanity. We're going to see that his wealth and all these things are going to be instrumental and the downfall of Solomon, isn't it? You know, we can ask ourselves our, our questions, you know, about him. Along with his wealth and uh, his idolatrous uh, wives and all the wives he accumulated and the women, you know, did his wealth have anything to do with all of that? But I want us to note a few things tonight in this bit of scripture. The folly of materialism. And we've talked about this before and, and we've mentioned it some in the lessons previous. But the folly of materialism. We first need to be reminded that wealth is not wrong within itself. We know that. We've heard that preached. We've heard it taught. And we should know without a shadow of a doubt that someone who is rich or someone who has lots of things is not wrong in itself. Money is morally neutral, if we can say. But the rich are warned not to trust in those uncertain things. It was read just a moment ago in 1 Timothy 6 and 17 through 19. Don't trust in those things. Don't lay hold on those things. We're told, as we noted last time we met about in the same series, is that we are to lay up our treasures in heaven, aren't we? And not to be grasping and holding on to these material things. Matthew 6 and verse 19 talks about that moth and that rust that destroys and that thieves will break through and steal. You know, in the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12, we see that 
Those things do not satisfy. We want more and more. There are dangers of wealth. Those who desire to be rich fall into a snare. 1 Timothy 6 and verses 6 through 8 says those who have that type of thinking and that type of way are going to fall into a snare. Be careful with our attitude toward our riches and toward our abundances and the things that we have. You know, and one of the dangers of wealth is that it can cause us to forget God. <clears throat> you say, oh no, I would never forget God. No, 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 no way would I do that. You know, I've known a lot of men who have proved that statement true. Oh, I would never leave God. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 30, and when you go to verses 8 and 9, it says, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food or covenant for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. The proverb tells us there, doesn't it? That our wealth can lead us to forget God. Deuteronomy 8 and 10 through 17. Israel was warned when the Lord blessed them that they must not forget him. And according to our reading tonight, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17, it gives us uh, that money may give us a false sense of security. You know, you think about our lives. We work, we work, we work, we work, we work, we work. And we say, oh, I'm going to take it and, and, and all this money, we're going to take and we're, we're going to apply it. We're going, we're going to give to the Lord and we're going to take it and put it to this note or, or uh, our house and whatever these things are. But then we sometimes get so busy trying to do all those things that we forget God. And it gives us a false sense of security. Sometimes we sit in our, our homes and we say, oh, I have a wonderful home and I have a great warm home and, and, and it's not cold or it's not damp and, and all these things are great. And boy, I am secure. You know, sometimes when we find ourselves in those things and that way of thinking, God has a way of bringing us down, doesn't he? Yeah. He'll bring us down. So the first thing we're talking about is the folly of materialism. Our wealth can hinder obedience to the gospel. <clears throat> Matthew 13 and verse 22 speaks of the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches that choke out the word. The rich young ruler, we talked about him. Lazarus, the rich man in Lazarus who forgot about God. It can lead to one being greedy and, and taking advantage of the poor. But what about dealing with materialism? I can give you just a few points concerning this thought. Always be grateful. Young people, and our, we older ones as well, always be grateful. 
Be grateful and thankful for what you have. Be thankful and grateful. 1 Timothy 4 and 4 through 5, Every creature is good, received with thanksgiving. Philippians 4 and verse 6, And everything with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. In everything give thanks, thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ and Jesus for you. You see, we need to be grateful. We need to be thankful. You know, it's always good for me to go back home because around every corner there's a reminder. There's a reminder for me. Around every corner, when I go down the highway or when I may go through a certain town or a street or whatever, there's a reminder for me, that's where you were at one time. Some of the homes I live in are still not there. They're torn down. But we need to be grateful. We need to be content always. You know, sometimes being content is more uh, difficult when we are prosperous. 1 Timothy 6 and 6 through 8 speaks about godliness with contentment is great gain. But when we're prosperous, sometimes this is more difficult when we're prosperous. Because when we're prosperous, what do we find ourselves wanting? More, doesn't it? We want more. We need to be grateful. We need to be content. Be okay with what you have. Be okay with starting here. Young people, let me tell you something. <coughs> you look at your grandparents and you look at your parents, they did not get and have what they have when they first got married. Okay? You understand that? Your parents did not have what they got right now when they first got married. They didn't start out with a brand, both of them brand new cars. They didn't start out owning their home for the most part. They didn't start out all having all the possessions that they have or the land or the money or the jobs or, or whatever. You see, that's the problem in our society, I think, today is a lot of our young people feel like instead of starting down here and working their way up, then I have to start up here, and many of them find themselves back down here because they don't know how to handle what happened in between here and here when they get here. You see, that's a good thing for kids to start out down here. And, so, and, and, all, and I can look at it as like a ladder. <laughs> you climb the ladder. You know, there's nothing wrong with starting out down here. Because when you do get here, you appreciate what you had down here a whole lot more. So again, that's why it's sometimes so much, so more difficult to be content with those things. You know, Hebrews 13 and 5 says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. You know, covetousness is a symptom of not being content. 
You know, debt is most often a sign of lack of contentment. You think about that. It is said in a survey that a large percentage of our younger generation and people in the world today have, ma have maxed out their credit cards. Maxed them out. And they tell you this good little story says all you have to do is pay the minimum. <laughs> pay the minimum. And boy, that looks great when you're 19 or 20 or 21, 22. Oh, I just paid $12 on $20,000. Man, <laughs> that's a great deal. You know what? You have to live three lives to pay that back. <laughs> if you ever pay it back. But when we have that debt, which a lot of people do, a lot of people have debt. It's a sign of discontentment. You know, we have to be good stewards of everything God gave us. And what I mean by that is our money as well. Not just gospel things or church things. We have to be young people and older people. We have to be good stewards of the money that God blesses us with. You know, we should not find, our, unless we have a bad something happen to us in our life, we should not find ourselves in debt way over our heads. We shouldn't have that. And that's what money and being prosperous sometimes does to us and we as Christians are not immune to that. And we have to guard against those things. So again, being always being grateful and being content, but be humble. Wealth and possessions can cause one to become haughty and think more highly of himself than he ought to. Titus 3 and verse 2 says that we should show humility to all men. I heard a sermon this morning in, in our worship back home talking about are, are we too busy? Last week was on are we too busy for God? Today was what are we doing for God? Sometimes our money makes us too busy for God. But be a faithful steward as I've all already or mentioned. 1 Timothy 6 again implies that being wealthy is not sinful. But it comes with responsibility. And you need to understand this. Younger people as well. I'm talking to you tonight a lot, but older people too. When God blesses you with opportunities to work or to a promotion or to make money, you and I have to be in the mindset of being responsible with that money. How many times have you said, or maybe someone said it to you, boy, that, when you was a little boy, said, boy, that dollar is burning a hole in his pocket, ain't it? Boy, you just can't wait to spend that money. You see, that's the immature way of thinking, isn't it? So we have to, it comes with responsibility. Be reminded that whatever resources we have and been entrusted with, that God has provided them for us. Use our wealth and our resources that we have for good to glorify God. 
You know, that's what I pray for my children. I have prayed this prayer for many, many years. Is that, Lord, let them be successful in whatever vocation that they choose. Keep them healthy physically, but most of all spiritually. And God, whatever vocation they do, let them be successful and let them be wealthy, but let them use that wealth to glorify your name. You see, I think that's the attitude I believe we have to have. Not that I got it all right. But it's okay to pray for the success of our children and for them to be wealthy. But how they use that wealth responsibly and to be able to use it for the glory of God you see, that's where we've got to come to. But in this passage tonight that we've read and, and, and Solomon is telling us about all these things that he's had, where, where's, where's our treasure? Are we laying them up in heaven? That's a question for all of us. You know, Matthew 6 and 24 says we can't serve God and our riches, right? Yeah, can't do it. But in verses 8 and 9... We see that Solomon has acquired male and female singers and all sorts of musical instruments. Concubines, as one version puts it. Cupbearers, coffers, chest upon chest. And you know, and he says... These things were pursued for the gratification of his flesh. But they too are going to prove to give life no real meaning. Entertainment in our midst. I want you to think about these in the last five, seven, eight minutes we have. Entertainment. He wanted to be entertained. We love to be entertained, don't we? I do. Uh, one of my favorite places to go is the Comedy Barn in Pigeon Forge. Uh, and laugh and, and just have a good, what they call, belly laugh. Is that right? Uh, just it may, Laughter makes you feel good, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And entertainment is good. But you know, we are living in an entertainment-driven society today. We are living in a society, and I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that we sometimes fall prey to this very thought. It's a saturated society. Entertainment is literally a multi, multi-billion dollar industry. It's of staggering the amount of money that's spent in entertaining. We read about Movies breaking world records with sales of over billions and billions of dollars. And people want to be entertained all the time. We, we love entertainment. We love sports. We love movies. We love television, books, music, live events, games, board games, electronic systems, amusement parks. We could just go on and on. Hobbies and all type of stuff. But you know the point... Entertainment is everywhere, and it's, and it's high, in high demand. But you know, one of, the, one of the most spiritual 
more serious, I could say, spiritual problems associated with our entertainment is how it has affected people's attention spans in one sense. Uh, you say, what do you mean, attention spans? The sad truth is that people have come to expect church and religion to be like the entertainment world. That's my point. That's my point. They want to be entertained. Oh, we're going to lose our young people. You see, and a lot of times in that way of thinking and how our entertainment has affected our, our people's minds and their ways of thinking, songs have to be fun. Acts of worship have to, to have to be exciting. And the venue, oh, the venue needs to be elaborate. And the preacher and the speaker needs to be entertaining. Many of the churches in the Lord's church today have made entertainment a mainstay of what they call worship. Seeking to fulfill the gratification of fleshly desires more than God's instruction on how to worship. You see, people don't know how to stop and just sit still and engage in some serious activity maybe even a little boring, but needed for a length of time. People don't understand how to do that. Because our entertainment world has shaped our minds and our way of thinking into that way. Now, I love to watch a good TV show just as much as anybody. But whether we want to admit it or not, it has shaped us as a society. And again, worship has to be entertaining. It has to be exciting. And oh, Lord help us if preachers go over 30 minutes. Oh. Some, some, I have been some places where they hold their watch up. You see, we can't, we find ourselves in that position. And Solomon talks about that. But what about the vanity of entertainment? You see, first understand that entertainment, like so many other things that Solomon has pursued, is not wrong, what? Within itself. Entertainment's not wrong within itself. But in fact, it's even good at times and it's needed. Recreation is good. We, it's the way we rest the body and, and, and equally important to the mind. Especially in this fast-paced world in which we live. But we're going to find on over in Ecclesiastes in chapter 3 and verse 1 and following there that there is a time for everything. <laughs> Laughter and dancing, and we could go on and on. Whatever good we have from God, it is for our benefit. 
But there's a time for everything. And let me show, share with you young people and, and all of you tonight that worship is not that time for that good time entertainment. It's a solemn time that we direct our minds and we, we get ourselves in the right frame of mind. Things of the world we don't think about. You know, I found out earlier that we here at McCoinsville are not going to change our services for Christmas. You know, you think about that. We couldn't, I think we still have to meet. We could change the times. But I think we're still qualified or, or need to meet. And our elders think that way, and I thank God that they do. But we find ourselves in the middle of the vanity of entertainment. You see, we need to make sure that it's wholesome entertainment. And we need to be concerned with how much we're engaged in that entertainment. how much fun and, and those things that we're engaged in. You see, Ephesians 5 verse 16 calls upon us to redeem our time, meaning to make the most of the time that we have while we're here upon this earth. We need to be concerned about the amount of resources consumed by it. You know, entertainment today is not cheap. It's not just about the time, but how much does it cost? Some's very expensive. We said we have, I have some expensive hobbies. I had to get rid of some. <laughs> uh, couldn't afford to play it. Couldn't afford to do it. First Timothy 6 and 18, as we read tonight, warns us to rich to be rich in good works and to be willing to share what God has blessed us with. And we need to think about, does it cause me to neglect my duties to God? Does it cause me to neglect my duties and my time to my family? You see, that's another way of looking at it. Has our entertainment become an idol? Do we spend every waking hour engaged in those things? You know, one of the things, <clears throat> I'm, I'm talking to my kids now in this circle, this restorative practice things that we're doing now for behavior. And I've been digging and I've been trying to find out. They always mention games. I'm a gamer. I guess that's a term. I don't know. Um, but I'm a gamer. And we're talking K through 3. And by what I can dig and find out, that our K through, K3 through children are engaged 
and again, entertainment's okay. It's, it's fun to play those games and things, but they're engaged pretty much by the hours that they're at home. What I figured up, there was only less than an hour that they engaged at all with their family. By the time they get home, they're engaged in a game. Be honest with you, I've counseled couples through the years that they got married. And I had one young lady one time says, all he wants to do is lay on the couch and play a game. He said, all she wants to do is fuss and nag all the time. Well, that was a, that was a great counseling session. <laughs> um, but men and ladies, we need to think about those things. How much time are they consuming? Have they become an idol to us? Have they, they take us away from our families, from the people we love? You know, as much as I love to hunt and fish, I, I have to be very cautious of the time that I spend away from my wife and my children. And number one, God. Entertainment is good, but we need to really watch it. Tonight in our lives, we live in that filled world with all the entertainment and all the things that we, uh, we see and we do. I hope that you do not fall prey to those things. I can be honest with you and tell me that there have been hobbies and things in my life that I have let control my life. I've been guilty of that. I had to confess and repent that sin. I got too caught up with it. Wasn't give God what he needed. Wasn't give my family and my friends and things at the time that they needed because of those things. And it was a sin. It was a sin. I hope you haven't been caught up in those things, but if you have and you need to repent, we encourage you to do that. Maybe other things in the world that you've been caught up in. Maybe tonight you need to become a Christian and we can help you with that as well. And let Christ be the center of your life other than worldly things. So tonight, whatever your need may be, please come. Together we stand and as we sing.